0: You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Winfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it downfield, Wide open! (laughs) Touchdown Tyreek Hill!
1: Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. hope you
2: soon
1: jump on his bandwagon. Waddle. Waddle. To a shotgun. Back to throw. Looking. Steps up. Fires. Touchdown.
0: Okay, it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown. of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up.
2: What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, I hope you guys are enjoying the bye week. I've been watching some horror films, I've been looking at a little bit of tape, I've been spending a lot of time with the family, play a little bit of golf as well. But today, I am so pumped up about my guest, the great JT O'Sullivan, who, for my money, is the best film analyst right now in the business. He joins us, talk all things Tua Tungavailoa, Dolphins offense, and what we can expect here in the second half of the season, plus the week 10 picks at the end of the show from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast.
0: Yeah.
2: Without further ado, my guest today, JTO O'Sullivan. Joining me today on the Drive Time Podcast is the creator of the QB School, I was going to say YouTube channel, but really it's an entire brand. But check out the channel on YouTube. Several million views at this point. I believe he can correct me on that when I welcome him in. Former Frankfurt Galaxy quarterback J.T. O'Sullivan. J.T., what's up, man?
1: Travis, what's going on? Yeah, you guys were uh, back in my old stomping grounds recently. I love that Frankfurt Stadium.
2: It felt too fitting to not bring up on this podcast coming off the heels of that uh, near comeback victory that didn't go our direction. But um, I was curious to ask you just about your your time over there. I know you had a couple of stints playing in the old NFL Europe League, but also just kind of your time around the league. Um, how did that compare compared to what, you know, you dealt with in the States playing in the NFL? Well,
1: uh, it was great for me personally. I uh, went over there and, and played well enough both times to kind of stay in the league. And, you know, as a backup guy or a guy who's not a first round guy, you've really got to kind of, bide your time for your opportunity if it ever comes. And so the league, uh, that Europe league was great for me because I got a chance to play. You know, you get to the point in your career as a backup, as a young guy, where you need to play to get better. And it timed out both times for me to be really uh, little trampolines in my career that uh, gave me probably extra years in the league. So I'm very thankful for that opportunity. I had a blast over there and uh, still have a bunch of buddies that I played with from over there.
2: I know the squad had a good time over there, too, with all the uh, not just the players, but the entire, you know, football support staff and all the content team and all that stuff, too. So cool to get a chance to travel abroad from this league. I think Christian Wilkins said he never thought he would get to travel to Germany through football. But alas, here we are in 2023 and things have expanded quite a bit. And JT, you mentioned the, you know, getting reps in terms of, you know, growing as a young player. And I think it's a good place to start there with the Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tungabailoa, who every time you drop a new episode and I see him up there, I get pretty excited about it. Not going to lie. It's nice, a nice little peek into, you know, kind of the explanation to some of the things that we think we see in terms of trying to make sense of film, as you say yourself. And so I know Dolphins fans really appreciate it, but I want to start here, you know, with your videos, you talk a lot about two things with Tua that. You know, I don't call myself two Anon, JT. I have always thought he had a lot of good skills that go back to what he excelled with at Alabama. But if you were to consult two Anon, they would tell you anticipation and, and accuracy uh are really the 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 pillars of his game. And obviously, you know, the footwork to, to kind of change the launch points and just the multiple things that he does to put himself in a position to succeed. I was wondering how you would describe, you know, from a guy that's done this for so long, playing and now analyzing, how would you describe the delicate balance of being able to mirror? The drop in the footwork with the timing of the route to make that anticipation possible. Because on tape, it seems like he's seeing it as fast as we are evaluating it, but I'm sure it happens a lot faster when you're down there on the field.
1: Yeah, I, I think you do a really nice job of describing it right there. I think the thing that I would add on to it is you know, not only is it the anticipation and the accuracy, but it is a dance with how they do it. So as the modern game evolves and and Miami's at the forefront this year with the motion, with the horizontal stretch to marry that with the play action. So the timing and dance of the footwork with the perimeter speed and the down the field kind of intermediate chunks that they've been accustomed to just making so precise, that's the part that is really kind of, Kind of tip of the spear for what the Dolphins do offensively—that I just love Tua, uh, and really he continues to evolve and, and push the envelope with with how well he does it and how surgical he is the vast majority of the time.
2: And you know, you mentioned growth earlier and ta- and talking about when you were younger in the league and Tua coming up and and I guess first couple of years probably didn't go as planned in terms of the production and just I guess the perception of where he was and, and standing in the NFL. But then you know Mike McDaniel gets here and the offense starts to cater more towards his skill set and what he does really well. But now we're in this this portion of his career where he's in the second year of the same system for the first time really since high school back in Hawaii. Um, when you put him on tape last year compared to this year, what do you see that stands out in terms of his growth from year one to year two under Mike McDaniel?
1: Oh, I would say the thing that, you know, I've always been a big fan of, of Tua. If you go back, shoot to, to where I, I think I have videos probably of him playing in college coming out, I was a big fan of just what you mentioned. The anticipation and accuracy is something that I think translates from Saturday to Sunday. And so the thing that I think with Tua, that for the first couple of years, you know, fighting through the different staffs, through the different, you know, offensive coaches, he also was seemed like he never was quite as healthy as maybe he was when he first started going in college football. And so now it looks like he's not even healthy, but even a better athlete, a little bit better moving, a little bit stronger. And so you couple that with obviously the health concerns of what happened last year and just the fact that he can move and looks more comfortable back there and a little bit more dynamic of an athlete to be able to create a little bit more and get out of some bad situations. I think that has added just another little sprinkle to what he's already done and done at a really high level you just want to see it consistently. You want to see it travel. You know, you want to see it in some bad, rough weather games, end of season. But I mean, what can you say from when when things are looking good and they are out there and he's healthy and he's feeling good, they're as fun and as dynamic as anybody in the league.
2: You mentioned, you know, the athletic ability almost kind of being the part of his game that has advanced the most. And that almost seems like the Converse of how it usually works, right? Like, I think about someone, you know, going back to uh, this is going to age me, you know, on the podcast here, but going back to like Ben Roethlisberger in his early days, like he was so talented physically. But once he got Todd Haley in his corner and had, you know, an offensive system that was a little more, you know, I, I guess based upon his mental aptitude, then he really hit these peak years of mass production. But it seems like too has kind of been the opposite where he always had that, you know, mental aptitude, but the, now the athletic ability, like you talk about coming off the hip injury, is starting to catch up a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that was just unfortunate for Tua, you know, so much, and this is hard for people to get outside the building, outside the league. But I think if you asked a lot of guys who played, they would say that they would agree with me when I say there's a lot of luck that goes into your ability to stay healthy. Now, obviously, you know, the guys who have done it for a long time across professional sports, they take it to the next level nowadays with their taking care of their body, all that type of stuff. You're assuming that you're doing that but you still need some luck to be able to stay healthy. And if you're not healthy, that time to get right is different for everybody. And so there's not a lot of patience across professional sports, let alone the NFL. And so to go out there and, and try to battle when you're not feeling great, I think there is a testament. There is a there is a part of that, especially playing quarterback that you're expected to do. But when you're feeling good and you're surrounded by talented guys and you're in a system with a, that you're familiar with and people believe in you, you can kind of see that kind of surge and start to bubble out of Tua and what he's been doing.
2: Dolphins fans know all too well about not having their quarterback for the entirety of a season. I mean, I, I just put a tweet out the other day that said that this is the first year Dolphins have had their starting quarterback start the first nine games of the season since 2016. So it's been a minute that they've had anybody healthy for the duration of the season. But I think one way the Dolphins have helped Tua in that regard, and he has helped himself, is getting the football out of his hands quickly. And JT, I want to kind of go in the weeds here a little bit, talking about something that you described so well in your videos that I've seen. Josh McCown before he got back into the league as a quarterback's coach talk about this with uh, underdog is is to his vision and how rare he his vision is to be able to process the field the way he does and he told a story about being in the same quarterback room with Kurt Warner and that was when he realized like I'll never see the field the way that Kurt did you know in his in the peak of his career and that, that's not the question here but I guess maybe I want to simplify that for someone who's never played the position or the sport like how special is that vision to be able to like I talked about earlier to marry up your throws into those tight zone pockets and to see things that maybe other guys can't, had you ever been around a quarterback that saw it in a way that you're like, I don't understand what you're seeing because I don't have it that way. Maybe.
1: Uh, I mean, I I would say that it is rare that a lot of guys, not a lot. uh, What's the right word. Many people that come into the league playing quarterback, you get to that point in your career where you get an opportunity in the league and, and sometimes the guys who are drafted really high are maybe the, and maybe the, uh, the prototypical guy in this regard, they've just the freaks of freaks, you know, and that goes across all the NFL roster, but guys who are playing quarterback in the league have probably had the strongest arm in their area, been the number one guy their whole career. And so you don't necessarily have to anticipate. You don't have to be precise with your ball location consistently. If you're, back there running around like it's recess and just creating all the time. You're going to have guys wide open on scramble drills. Where for Tua, I don't think that ever was his game. It certainly wasn't his game in college. He had that precision. He had that anticipation baked into it. I don't know necessarily where he got it. He probably got it from, you know, detailed work and being prepared and feeling confident and the trust in his own skills to be able to let it rip. But when, for me personally, when I got to the league, it really helped to see other people make anticipation throws. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's not just in person, it's on film. When you're watching tape, you're like, man, he lets that thing go, you know, three steps before the guy comes out of that post or that comeback or that deep shot. And so you can just start to experiment with it. And as you're a pro and you've got those off seasons and that time to be able to master it and fine tune your craft, I think some guys lean into that more than others. But to his vision, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, it pops off the film. And, and to your point earlier, they allow him to do that. There are some systems where it's very much, you know, hit the top of your drop, look here, next hitch, look here, next hitch, look here, where when you turn on the film and you know, I'm not in their building at all, but it looks like they give him some grace and some freedom, even on like first level RPOs, which is what I would consider one of the harder ones to do where they allow him to use his vision to see what's open. And make a decision as opposed to have kind of concrete like back in the day you know pure progression one two three must look here it's more what's the space look like i know my guys i know where i can be precise with the ball and it allows him to flourish and use that vision like really no one else in the league
2: and it it, i think it allows him to play with a certain level of confidence too that's really fun to watch and you know i I, whenever you like pause your video and you, you do the capital a and you underline it and you just kind of marvel about when he's letting that thing rip and where the receiver is in the route at that particular time, it's my favorite thing to watch in your entire channel, but the confidence that is required for him to play like that. I I feel like that has to be not just something that he has internally, but something that's maybe reinforcing him. And it takes me back to when Mike McDaniel first arrived in Miami and he put on a, like a big 700 play clip of, of two of making, you know, these big time throws that he was a fan of. And he went around to the entire building and showed everyone, look at this, look, look at this tape of this guy that, Plays with such high anticipation. Let's go out and get you know playmakers on the outside to really maximize that. What can that do for a player's confidence? Like for Tua to to maximize his game, I feel like he has to play at that high level of confidence. How much do you think that really helped him to just take that to another step and really you know drive that thing in there when he has to?
1: I mean, I, I think it's a it's a huge testament to Coach McDaniel. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't necessarily think that this is uh unique to Tua uh, and his relationship. I think that this is a really good example of you know, high level leadership and management across sectors where you uh, intentionally and publicly, you know, acknowledge high level performance and you try to promote it. And you can do that by, you know, building him up internally in the quarterback room, in the team meeting room, but you can also do it in the media. You can also do it across the building, in the building. You can do it in the hallway. And those types of things, you know, resonate, especially for a guy. And, I, you know, I'm not pretend I don't know Tua at all, but I would imagine a guy who you know probably wasn't at his peak confidence you know when Mike McDaniel first got that job and so he really did you know influence Tua to step into the space and now he seems to own as far as being so you know on top of it with his anticipation and leaning into his strengths allows him to play you know to his absolute peak as we move towards it the other thing i would add and this is just me as a fan of quarterback play and and, and Tua is you know there's this huge elephant in the room as far as we need him to stay healthy. I mean, you know, We talked about the Dolphins starting quarterbacks not staying healthy. But for him, especially, especially with the concussion things, leaning into getting rid of the ball and whether it be the quick release or how they're doing it with kind of the, the use of motion and the spread element of what they bring to the table and how they just seem to collect speed with their perimeter players allows Tua to just play just a little bit faster and lean into kind of protecting him and not taking some of those hits off where you're kind of like, don't want to be back there, hitch, 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 you know, waiting on things to open you, you lean into his strengths. And as kind of a corollary element, he gets rid of the ball. He doesn't get hit all those types of things that we're trying to do to protect him.
2: It hasn't even been close this year, man. Like he hasn't even really taken one of those big hits where you're like, Oh no, it seems like maybe this could be one that, you know, puts him on his back, but the ball comes out so fast or, or he just has, you know, outlet options. Like there was a play in the, in the Germany game where, uh, he he rolled to his left and didn't have his, you know, his primary and he came back to the far side. He actually got hit for a grounding call, which, you know, I, we can, you know, <laughs> deliberate that a different time. But he he knew exactly where Raheem Mostert was to get rid of the football and just kind of, you know, basically grounded it that way, you know, at Raheem's feet, but got hit for the flag. So it seems like there's a good understanding of how to get rid of the ball faster as well. So it's been really cool for us to see that encouraging going forward for sure. Let's go ahead and take a quick break right here. My guest today, J.T. O'Sullivan from the quarterback school. This is the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield.
0: your perfect home sweet home.
2: Back here for segment number two of my special guest today, JT O'Sullivan from the QB school, breaking down all things Tua and this Dolphins offense. And JT, uh, one more like weird theory I have for you here that I wanted to run by, you know, a former NFL quarterback before I talk about some more general Dolphins offensive topics. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen some of the headlines talking about Miami's victories versus the teams they've lost to this year. And I've been you know, putting together different ideas and thoughts and segments for the podcast, trying to make sense of what the first nine games of the season means. And I went back over Tua's career and there was a trip in 2021 to London where they lost to the Urban Meyer Jacksonville Jaguars. And since that game, they have not lost a game that Tua has quarterbacked where they were greater than a field goal favorite to win the game. And to me, I think the common thread there is, is Tua playing because they've had games against those teams without Tua in the lineup and they've lost those games. And my theory JT is that his skill set translates to a super high floor in terms of performance. In fact, I think there was a, a stat a couple weeks ago before uh, what was the doubt da- like the Philly game maybe had a low passer rating and it was he had not had a game below 90 passer rating all season long. And so my theory is that he his floor of a bad game is so high that you typically find your way to victory against these maybe lesser teams in the NFL or you know middle of the road teams. I'm curious what you think about his floor and how his skills translate to I guess being able to be productive pretty much every Sunday.
1: I think cutting to what the core of that probably is is the the argument that they, you know, can't necessarily beat the premier teams in their conference. And for me, the answer to that is And this is tough in football because I used to get pissed at coaches in in installs about this, but football is a small sample size game. And so if you have a small sample size and you, you know, go over three in that situation, well, it looks like you're terrible in that. But in reality, it's just a small N. And so it's hard to live in that world when you only get to play once a week. But that's my take on it. I I think, you know, I think that they will be fine in those games. Not fine. I mean, you have to win those games eventually. But I think it's hard to live in that world where that's a good enough excuse sometimes. But I can remember, like, uh, the example I always use is in the league for a long time. I don't know how they do it anymore, but the breakdowns that you would get would often be off numbers of the last four games. So you'd get like your third down breakdown and your third and 10 plus. It would be like, well, this team plays Tampa 2. 75% of the time and you look at the breakdown and there's only four snaps in the last four games and they played three snaps of Tampa and one snap is zero. And you're like, well, that doesn't really mean they play 75% Tampa in that. That just means in the last month, that's what they did. Cause when we go out there and our plays are designed for Tampa too, and all we get is middle field close, man, we better have some answers, you know? And it's stuff like that where it's like small sample size distorts reality. And so just trying to hold that idea knowing that, Hey, it is what it is at this point. Uh, You know, you hope that you play better versus those teams when it matters most. And the reality is, is is it's hard to hold that. But most good teams, yes, you care about the results. Yes, you'd love to go 17 and 0, but you want to be playing your best football through Thanksgiving into the holidays and into January. And so just continuing to get better in that mindset, you know, is, is where I think the Dolphins need to live
2: it seems like that's been the, or it has been the message at, you know, recent press conferences in the bye week and, you know, Teron Armstead took to the podium and talked about how there's no wavering of confidence. Uh, Have you ever been around a situation like that, where, you know, you're in a, you're atop your division, you're leading, you know, you're you're on top of a team that I guess was projected to maybe finish ahead of you in Buffalo, and you have everything in front of you, but yet the perception is that you're not good enough. I guess you, you kind of touch on that with the sample size discussion there, and that's a really good tidbit. But I'm curious, have you ever seen something like that? And how does a team internalize that, or do you just not even think about it?
1: I think in a, you best case scenario, you hope you just put your kind of nose down and work. And I think that the coaches can go a long way to uh, reinforcing that message. You know, whether it be in meetings, individuals at practice you know, what the focus is as far as trying to get better. There's a lot of coach speak in that, but there's also a lot of truth when you look across the landscape of the league and the teams that have played their best at the end of the year. There is this kind of connection between, yeah, we'd love to win in October, but we sure would prefer to be playing our best ball and continue to get better at the end of the season. And so you really do have to balance that. I think, you know, being a veteran guy or veteran team or going through it a few times or having some older cats in the locker room to be able to lean on, to give examples of, of how that's transformed teams over the course of the season matters. But, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that when you're in it, when you're in the NFL and you're, leave, you know, living and breathing every single rep, every single game, like it's your last and that's what you have to do to survive. It's hard to take that macro perspective, but that's what, you know, coaches get paid for and they have to reinforce that message and, and drive that home and hope that you continue to get better over the course of the season. Because I know I'm sure the Dolphins fans would Yeah, you would love to be the best team in September, in October, but you'd really prefer to see this offense, this team play its absolute best in January. You know, maybe you're going to have to go the road on the road in a really tough environment. Does this offense travel? You know, those types of things came to a rise to the occasion and match one of the best premier quarterbacks in the league, on the road, in the playoffs, that type of stuff. That's where this will really kind of separate itself. And you just hope that you're continuing to build so that when you get that opportunity, you're able to take advantage of it.
2: Yeah, I suppose the fortunate part about the schedule so far is they have had a few of those chances to, you know, at least test their mettle in those arenas. And, you know, they've been competitive and close, which haven't quite sealed the deal yet. But they will get three chances to finish the season, almost a, a play or a, a little playoff stretch before the playoffs with Dallas, Baltimore and Buffalo, uh, Baltimore being on the road there. So some good games coming up with the Dolphins schedule on the back end to get there. Uh, defense offense I think defense is rolling right now a little bit offense has had a bit of a lull here but still the number one offense across the board and with that in mind JT two more questions for you here before I let you go Uh, what's something that you look at on tape with this Dolphins offense that they have really gotten down maybe not perfected or maybe close to perfected but what's something you think they can count on the second half of the season to just keep on churning and hitting their bread and butter
1: oh I mean for me it's it's the health thing you know it's it's if we can, they have to, you know, I think you have to intentionally create opportunities for your guys to thrive, but you could see, I mean, or at least I thought watching that game this past weekend, Waddle, you know, I think McDaniel essentially collects speed. And now with i uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name because they changed it, but Achan Chan no. and uh, Waddle not maybe not playing the normal snaps that he has and maybe fighting through some issues. You know, that, that can really impact, you know, what this, what the kind of peak of this offense is. So you just got to find a way to do you like to do you. And that, that means taking advantage of what Tua does. That means doing what they do in the run game, as far as with the horizontal stretch, the RPOs, the zone stuff, and find a way to stay healthy and take advantage of what that speed does to a defense. The other thing I would say about the speed thing, uh, just from watching that last game, and I try to not, I try to get away from the recency bias of it, but man, the chiefs really got up in this, in their face a few times and made life difficult at the line of scrimmage on the perimeter. And so having an answer for what that looks like, and it just can't be, you know, line Tyreek up in the wing and let him, you know, crazy motion out of there. They, they got to find different ways to stack and move and maybe incorporate some tempo to be able to allow him to kind of not get jacked at the line of scrimmage, uh, as much as it seemed like he was being impacted.
2: You mentioned Waddle, that's that's a really good point there because the Dolphins have had so many games this year where either he's been banged up and had to exit or an offensive lineman has had to exit mid-game. What's the challenge of getting up, you know, because like if you have a guy that you know is down, you can game plan the entire week and put in your third down, your reds and all that stuff with him and then getting number one reps, right? What's it like to lose a key piece in a game? I know Waddle came back and played in the game, but there was, like you said, he only played about 54% of the snaps. So what's the what does that do to an offense when you lose a key guy in game like that?
1: I mean, it's it's a challenge. I think that the coaches probably uh, will continue to learn from these types of things and have things caked in where, you know, you you look across their depth at that position and they're so dynamic at the top, right? Like there, there's, there just isn't speed like that with Waddle and Hill anywhere else in the league. And then the pieces that they've tried to figure out what's next there to be a little bit more intentional to say, hey, Claypool, if you've got to play, we need you to be really competent at this and this and this and lean into that. And because it, you know, inevitably the the season is so long that all these guys are going to be asked and forced to contribute. You just have to be intentional with having everybody have their role, their piece, because right now it looks like when, when they lose a little bit of speed and this is not like a huge intuitive leap, you lose that elite speed. Everything comes a little bit more down to earth. And so just having a plan for what that looks like as they continue to kind of make sense of what this next few weeks looks like, I think is a perfect time to experiment with that, get more guys involved, find out what those guys do well. And then if those situations arise, you've got a little bit better plan to be able to take advantage of uh, some new opportunities for other guys.
2: It seems like the bye week kind of came at the right time of year for both the points you just made in those last two questions. I'll finish with this, JT. Conversely, because I I love the the praise and stuff you do on the show is always great, but also you kind of give us an idea of where things can get better. What do you think is one thing the Dolphins' offense can do to get better and have, you know, number one offense passing, uh, number one total offense, number one scoring offense?
1: Oh, man, put me on the spot. I don't know if there is a whole, <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't know if there's a whole lot. That's a good uh, answer. I'll we'll take it. I, I think the other thing is to, is, is the teams are going to try to get up in the face of the speed and jack these cats at the line of scrimmage. And so, just continuing to evolve what they do pre-snap. And I I love what they, I mean, they've essentially lit the league on fire with that uh, motion that Tyreek Hill does going out, you know, the little inside joke there, but like the idea of, you know, continuing to lean into the edge of the innovation aspect of pre-snap movement. What's the next iteration? How can they continue to be the tip of the spear with that? Because it gave them such a huge kind of like Wait, what the hell? What, everyone, what is that? Now everyone does that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty wild. And so, what is the next iteration of that? Can they continue to to be the front edge of that? Because I think that stuff is is kind of what separates them scheme wise when you combine it with Tua's strengths and their speed, all those types of things together.
2: Yeah, I'm super fired up to see what they have with a, a week to self-scout and come out of the, the bye week with an extra you know time to prepare for a game plan. J.T. O'Sullivan, the quarterback school on YouTube and across social. Appreciate your time so much today, man. I know you have uh, a busy schedule and uh, carving some time out for us. is definitely appreciated, man. Thank you so much for your time, J.T.
1: Yeah, no problem. I, I enjoyed it, Travis. Take care.
2: And away he goes. One last break right there. We'll come back on the other side and do the Week 10 Game Picks. That's next Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation.
0: perfect home sweet
2: home. I'm still feeding a little bit off of that interview. What a great chat that was. Maybe the best we've had here on the drive time podcast, breaking down this Dolphins offense. Let's go ahead and finish up the show here on a Friday with the week 10 NFL picks. I am recording this at 944 Eastern time. On Thursday the 9th, I put the tweet out there for you guys teasing the JT appearance on the podcast here and also went ahead and told you I took Carolina over Chicago on Thursday night football. Just swallowed all the air in the room. And the reason I'm doing that is because as bad as it's been for the Panther offense, and I think Bryce Young has struggled but also hasn't had any help in what he's been doing this season, I believe that the quarterback on the other side... Do you guys remember my takes about Zach Wilson before the Monday night game? And can we do this again? Can we talk about this again? Like there are Jets fans that argue that Zach Wilson just needs more help or the offensive line has to play better. Like if you ever need to understand how misguided most fans are about what actually happens at the quarterback position on a football field, just go check, check out Jets Twitter. Like, It doesn't take more than a few plays to realize Zach ain't it, right? It doesn't take more than three or four snaps. The first two snaps of that game on on Monday night, the overthrow on the speed out, which is like layup, built in, you have to hit that 100% of the time if you want to play at this level, and then the next ball he throws where he's three beats late and damn near gets his receiver killed over the middle of the field. It doesn't take long to figure it out if you know what you're looking for with that guy. And there is like a lengthy debate about whether or not he can do it. The kid in Chicago, cool story, Shepard University, all that fun stuff. His parents came to see him make his first start against the Chargers on Sunday Night Football. Cool, man. But let's be real here. And watch, this has a chance to age like milk because I'm recording this on Thursday. This is the Friday podcast. Maybe he goes off and I look so stupid, but I'll take my chances here. Panthers on TNF. In the Germany game, I'm taking the Patriots here and I'm going to this is going to pay me to say this. I like Bill Belichick's opportunity to scheme up a good system, a good game plan, I should say, to take down Gardner Minshew, who does a great job of winning with anticipation, but Belichick, I like the way he defends Tua and what he does well. Gardner Minshew's a poor man's Tua, so I like Belichick's ability to kind of stick it to Gardner Minshew. Go Cougs, but I'll take the Patriots over in Germany. Baltimore and Cleveland, like, this has the chance to be a good spot for the Dolphins to pick up some ground on the top teams in the AFC with a potential Ravens loss this week. I'm just not seeing it because that Cleveland offense is awful, that quarterback is awful. I believe in karma in this sense and it's great to see Ravens over Browns. I'll take the Steelers over the Packers. I think you know I talked about this on the was it the Wednesday podcast about how the Packers were probably my biggest miss in terms of Preseason predictions so far: Uh, the Steelers. I I can't believe they're over 500. They are, but I think they're one of the ten worst teams in the NFL. But these are the games they win. They always win these games, and that's why they hover around eight and nine or nine and eight every year. Give me Mike Tomlin's squad over the Green Bay Packers. I'll take the Niners over the Jags. In fact, that's my pick of the week. It's I think it's a three-point spread. The Niners are on the road. Both teams coming off a bye. And this is the game the Dolphins fans, I think, need to tune into the most. I don't believe Jacksonville will usurp Miami's ultimate position in the AFC standings among division winners because I still believe it's going to be KC, Baltimore, Miami, and Jacksonville who win the divisions. You want to stay out of that four seed because if you get the four spot, you're going to wind up playing probably Cincinnati or Baltimore, the loser of the AFC North battle in that first round. And I'm just not all that interested in doing that. I'd like to see one of the teams that sneaks into the backside, like a Pittsburgh or a Cleveland or a Chargers. Give me one of those teams down here in South Florida in the second weekend of January. So give me San Francisco big in a romp over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Give me the Saints over the Vikings. I don't think lightning strikes twice there for Josh Dobbs and company, although it's a great story. And the Saints have found a little something on offense, but that defense is fantastic. Give me the Saints in that one. I'll take the Bengals over the Texans, although I'm watching that in my third screen on Sunday on the ultimate NFL watching weekend for a Dolphins content creator who goes to every game. Now I get to sit at home, watch some games. I will have Bengals and Texans up on the screen, but give me the Bengals to win that one. I think they're going to roll here for a few weeks in a row. Uh, Will the Bengals give me the Bucks over the Titans. This is probably the one that I had the most consternation over, but the Bucks are at home. I think Will Levis has been good so far, but I think that team is not good. And I think that the quarterback will see a little bit more of a depreciation in his production, various performances this year from what we saw in that first game, because that's typically how it goes for rookie quarterbacks. Give me the Lions over the Chargers. I also had some consternation on this one, but I'm taking the road team. Typically, when the Lions travel, if it's outdoors or bad weather, I go against them. But Goff likes the friendly confines of SoFi Stadium. I think the Chargers are vastly over, not overrated. I shouldn't say that because, and you know, C.K. Uh, Parrot on Twitter, Chris Coffin had a great tweet about how. The Chargers are this team that everybody loves to fawn over their quarterback. Justin Herbert's so great when they don't score points. When he throws for 130 yards on 30 passing attempts, we talk about how great of a job he did managing the game. GTF uh, OH, out of here, on that one, all the way. But the funny thing about it is they fawn over the quarterback, like Chris mentions, but they don't give Miami credit for a valuable win against that team. I think that they are being held back by their quarterback right now, quite frankly. So with all that said, I'll take the Lions on the road at the Chargers. Although if the Chargers do win, Miami has a win over a winning team. So either way, I'll take it. But uh, yeah, give me the Lions in that one. Let's go Atlanta over Arizona. I really wanted to pick Kyler Murray. I just think that the operation in Atlanta right now is silly from top to bottom in terms of decision making and uh, you know not throwing the ball to Kyle Pitts and Drake London and B.A. John Robinson like let's draft these guys and then not use them makes a lot of sense but give me the Falcons because I think the Cardinals are awful and I'm not taking Kyler Murray in his first game back maybe down the road when he shows me he's back to normal. Cowboys in a romp over the Giants. It's a 16 and a half point spread. Holy moly. Seahawks over the Commanders at home. Uh, I think that's pretty self explanatory. I really debated on this one back and forth Jets and Raiders, but I'm taking the Jets uh, just because I think that their ability to shut down Aiden O'Connell will be the biggest mismatch in this entire game, where I think Zach can put, you know, 10 points on the board and get a nice 10 to 9 win or something. And then Buffalo over Denver on Monday night, but I'm not like. Right in that off is an automatic win for the Bills, but I will take them to win the game in this spot. So there you go. Those are the Week 10 picks. That's my time on the podcast this week. Tomorrow is Saturday, so you're not going to hear from me. However, on Monday, we'll be back with the second part of the offseason review. The uh, defensive side of the football will go under the microscope on that one. Plus, we'll give you all the updates from Monday's media there at... Uh, The Baptist Health Training Complex. Plus, we'll have Channing Crowder, I believe, for the Tuesday episode. I think we'll have that podcast recorded by then. I can't promise it, but I'm pretty sure I will. So I'll keep you posted on that. And then Wednesday, right back to the same old schedule you're used to Raiders preview coming up next Wednesday on the podcast. All right, let's go ahead and get out of here. Subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. Uh, Follow on social at Wingfield NFL and the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the fish tank podcast with Seth and Juice, the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Carolina and Daddy Daddy's coming home.